This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. How are we? Come on, the Aggies won and the Longhorns won. Like, that's, that's reason to celebrate a little bit, right? Like, we should be a little more than just, eh, good, right? And we're here. Like, we have life. That's good. So we'll, we'll try this again. Verbal communication is a good thing. I know we're still working on that, like this whole interacting with each other, but we'll get there. We'll get there. So how, how are we? We're good. Okay, super, super. Molly's good. We've got a little clap over there. Appreciate you. It's good looking out. It's good looking out. So, um... Man, I just want, we're going to be in Jeremiah today. If you want to go ahead and start turning that way, Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, It's kind of right in the middle. So if you hit Psalms, head to the right uh, just just a bit. Uh, Jeremiah chapter chapter 31. Uh, I just wanted to update you last week. Um, I, I asked you to pray for myself and Mike. We were both um, feeling really attacked, and uh, I think we can both say that we're doing far better uh, today and this week. So thank you for, for praying. Um, part of the reason in just, you know, bringing that to you guys is we want this to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. Like, we don't all have it together. We never will. Like, that's life. Um, and we just want that to be okay to put that on the table and say, hey, we, we need each other, we need prayer. Um, and so we're grateful to be able to do that. We're grateful to have a church where we can pray with and for one another. And we believe that God hears our prayers and responds to them. And so thank you for praying. Uh, this week has been, has been far better for sure. So um, I, learned, I learned a theme recently in my, my RFT. Did I get that right? RFT? Radio, film, television? Right? Okay. My RFT, no? Yes? RTF, RTF. It's the same words, different order of the letters. No big deal, right? It's all the same. Um, my RTF majors can help me if this is accurate, but just like correct me later. Um, I, it's called the dark moments. Um, and it's that moment in every good movie or, or story or TV show where it's like all hope is gone, right? Everything is falling apart. The world is crumbling. And, and, and life is just in shambles, right? And so we know that in, in movies. We watched The Greatest Showman Friday night, our, our movie night in Hyde Park, which was fantastic. Uh, loved having a lot of y'all there. So um, The Greatest Showman, right? Like everything crumbles, and he's sitting at the bar alone, and he's just his life is over. His marriage is falling apart. Uh, the, the, the circus has literally burned to the ground. Um, and it's that dark moment. We see it in Lord of the Rings, the battle at Helm's Deep for my Lord of the Rings fans. I, my mind always goes there. Here, true story about me. Like, if I could be born in another time period, I would want to be born in the time period of knights. I just feel like I could handle a sword well. I could be way wrong here. I'd probably like die in my first battle. But I watched Lord of the Rings. I'm like, I could do that. I could be there. Sorry. So that's just a little bit of me. All right. Um, the Battle of Helm's Deep, right? Like they're, they're surrounded by the enemy and they're crashing in. And, and, then, and then Aragorn remembers Gandalf's prophecy on the morning of the fifth, the fifth dawn, look to the east. And what happens, huh? Light shines in through the window and he's like, Gandalf's gonna come. Boom, they take off, Gandalf comes and it's, you know, you know it's, everything goes well. I'm sorry if I'm ruining that for you. If I'm ruining it, that's on you. That's to, that's, I am well past the, uh, the grounds of when you can ruin a, a movie. So um, Stephanie is watching Friday Night Lights. Um, I couldn't get into it, but, but you all know, like what's his name, Street, James Street, is that his name? The first guy, the quarterback, his last name is Street, and he goes down, and they're like, oh no, the Dillon Panthers, we're done. 
Like this is just the end, everything's gonna fall apart here. But there has to be the dark moments, why? So that the hope of light can shine even brighter, right? So that we can hit bottom and all we have to do is look up and know that there's hope coming. And so, so uh, what's his name? The, the circus guy is sitting there at the bar. What's his name? Barnabas? No, that's in the Bible. What's it? Barnum. Barnum. That's it. Thank you. I was close again. That's just going to be the rest of the sermon. Close, but not quite there. He's sitting at the bar, and he just hit rock bottom, and then in comes his, his family, right? Like his extended family, but his new family, and they're like, come on, man. And he sings that song, and he's like, man, the winter's cold, like the winter's wind blew cold, and he just hit rock bottom, but now it starts to pick up, right? He starts to see hope in family. Street goes down, but in comes Matt Saracen. Come on, we love Matt Saracen, right? He's fantastic. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Like, they're going to win it all because, you know, you got Saracen there. So that's the, the dark moment. It, it points us to the light. And, and we all know that in our own lives, too. Like, maybe, maybe we're not, you know, creating a circus and everything falling apart, but we all know those moments in life, too. We're like, I cannot do this on my own. Like, I've just, here's where I need to be, and my capacity is here. Like, and there's just no way to get past this, right? So maybe it's the week of exams where it feels like your professor's plotted against you. And they're like, let's see if we can fit six exams in one week and a paper, right? And so you're like, there's no way that I can do this. Or, or it's a job expectation where you know what the job asks for and you're thinking, I need 72 hours in a day to get this done. Like there's just not a chance. You know, a family situation where you look at it and you're like, it, it's, it's hopeless, like, there's no way that this is going to get better. There's no way that the light is going to shine in to this dark moment. We all know that feeling of hopelessness. We all know it. But it's in the dark moment. It's in the dark moment that the good news of light shines in the brightest. It's in the dark moment where we hit the bottom that we're forced to look up and to look for hope and to look for an answer. And so the dark moment, while it's dark, is really, it's good. And it moves us to what is true and what is right. This is where we are in Jeremiah 31. It's the, the darkest moment of the Old Testament. It's the darkest moment where things are just, they, they, they've bottomed out. And so if we, we recap, we're, we're working through the story of the Bible so that no matter where we are reading in the Bible, we can kind of pick up with what's happening, what, what are we moving towards, what's the answer. And so we started in the beginning, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. This perfect, holy, majestic God speaks and everything comes into existence. And he steps back and he looks at it and he says, not only is it good, but this is very good. Everything was perfect. The relationship between Adam and Eve and God, perfect. The relationship between each other, perfect. The relationship with the earth, perfect. Everything was good. But Adam and Eve took their eyes off of God, and they started looking at the things around them, and they thought, man, that looks pretty good. I know, I know God said this, but that looks really good. And they chose to go their own way, just like each of us has done. At some point, we've all chosen to do our own thing. And the Bible calls that sin, and it breaks everything. The relationship with God is fractured. The relationship between each other is fractured. The relationship with the world, the earth, is fractured. But in the middle of Genesis 3, where everything falls apart, in that chapter, 
God moves near in grace, and he promises that one day a son will come that will ultimately defeat Satan and the curse of death and bring life for whoever follow after him. In Genesis 12, God speaks to Abraham. He raises up Abraham and he says, hey man, through your family, we're gonna create a new family that's gonna bless the entire world. And, and so then from there, it moves on and we get to Exodus, right? And, and the people, it looks like that, that promise of the new family, of new life is gonna, be, is gonna be ruined by Pharaoh. And so God rescues them from their greatest enemy and brings them into a new relationship with him. And he says, if you'll follow me, you'll have life. If you'll trust me, you'll have life. And then we see with David, right, that God promises a new king will come one day and will create a kingdom where he will always rule and reign. And so we see that things are broken, but that we're moving towards hope. There's something that is pointing us ahead, that is moving us ahead. Everything in the Old Testament points to this moment, points to Jeremiah 31 and the promise of a new covenant in Jesus to come. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards that end. But for now, in Jeremiah 31, it's their dark moment. It's their dark moment. They've been in, in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years. Like, I, I don't even, there, there's sometimes where numbers are like, oh yeah, I get 70 years. But then I'm like, I don't get 70 years. I don't understand the weight of that to be, I mean, what if you're born in year two and, and you're like in your 60s and all you've known is slavery? That's it. Like, that's all you've known is that there are people who call, that you call master, and you don't have freedom. Seventy years, and, and they're in their moment of hopelessness. Like, okay, God promised this, but come on. We see no hope coming. No hope, not a chance. This is the dark moment for Israel. This is the dark moment for Israel. And then Jeremiah 31. Verse 31, 31, 31. God says, Behold, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. They're in their dark moment. There's hope nowhere to be found. They can't see up. They can't see light. They can't see a new day. And God comes in and he says, behold. That word behold is meant to grab our attention, right? You know when you're kind of in a daydream and you just need someone to be like, hey, listen up. That's what God's doing. That's what God's doing. They're surrounded by darkness. They've been there for so long, they just can't see, and God steps in. He's like, behold, listen up. Look alert. New days are coming. He shines the light of hope into their dark situation. I read a story recently, August 1st, 1914. Uh, there's an explorer by the name of Ernest Shackleton. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. I'd never heard of him until I heard this story. He sets, him and a crew get together, and they set sail from London to Antarctica. And they want to trek across Antarctica on foot. Look, I know some of you like the cold. I don't get it. This just seems dumb to me, right? Like, who's like, hey, idea, idea. Let's walk across a frozen continent. Like, I don't, I don't understand it at all, but that's what they wanted to do. Like, what's, what's the end goal of that? Like, hey, check us out. We made it across Antarctica on foot. Okay, that's fine. You know, it's fine. Get your trophy. I don't know. Anyways, 
They set sail, but in early, early uh, 1915, January of 1950, their ship gets totally surrounded by ice that is so thick, they literally cannot move the ship anymore. And so they're stuck in this just like gulf of ice, not going anywhere. And the, but the problem is the ice presses in and starts to put holes in the boat. I don't know how you do with boats. A hole in the boat not a good idea, right? Not going to go well. And so it starts to take on water and sink. And so they're in the middle of the Antarctic Ocean, and they're just, I don't even, they don't even know where they are, but they never made it to Antarctica. And they're like, hey, here's what we got to do. We've got to bail, and we've got to survive on a sheet of ice. That's our best chance. Let's make camp there on the ice. So that's what they do. They make camp on the ice. And their biographer, he writes, and he says that, man, they, they face hopeless nights, the cold and the low food, and, and that so much near death. But the worst part of what they encountered was what's called the polar night. And, and it says that near the end of May, the sun sets. And in that part of the world, it does not rise again until late July. Two months of darkness, two months of darkness. He said, in all the world, there is no desolation more complete than the polar night. Like, they, they can't work, they can't do anything. It's pure dark. But then, in that dark moment, comes a morning when the sun peeks out. Can you imagine what it must have felt like to have the hope of the sun after two months of darkness? I get grumpy after two days of overcast, right? Two months of darkness and the hope of sun shines in and every one of the crew members survived. That's impressive. Like that blows me away. But it's the hope of light that came into the darkness that moved them forward, that propelled them to keep going. Israel is in the dark moment where they're hopeless. We've been in those moments where we're hopeless. But the, prop, the promise of God is, hey, behold, look up. There's a new day coming. There's a new promise coming. It's going to be better. It's going to get better. It's going to be okay. Behold, look up. He says then in, thir- in verse 32, So he says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. God says he's going to start, he's going to make a new covenant with, with him and the people. But it's not going to be like the old covenant that happened when he brought them out of Exodus, when he brought them out of Egypt. And so in Exodus chapter 19, we see that old covenant. Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, we see the promise that God made to his people when he brought them and rescued them out of Egypt. He says this, while Moses went up to God, the Lord God called to him out of the mountains, saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. If, a huge word right there, right? The old covenant, the promise that God makes with his people when he brings them out. If you keep my commandments 
If you maintain faithfulness in my covenant, if you do this, the, the critical piece of the old covenant is that it was a conditional covenant based on both parties maintaining faithfulness. God says, I'll do good to you, and if you do good to me, we'll be good. If you obey, if you do what I say, then you'll be accepted and we'll be good. We'll have the relationship. I'll be your God, you'll be my people, we'll be tight, we'll be how it's supposed to be. If you keep your end of the bargain, if you maintain your level of faithfulness to me, will be good. See, God's always designed us to be in intimate relationship with him. From the very beginning, that was our purpose, to walk closely with God, to know him, for him to be our God, us to be his people. And he makes this promise, if you keep your end, you can count on me, I'm in. The old covenant, it's a lot like a marriage, where two people come together, and they're covenanting with one another, saying, hey, I'm trusting you, and you're trusting me, and together, we're going to trust each other, and we're going to have a marriage that lasts forever. And God says, that's the old covenant, where I'm your husband, you're my bride. And while God remained faithful time and time and time again, his bride did not. Time and time and time again, his bride chased other lovers and walked away from the love of God. Dozens of times, the first time I read this in the Bible, I was like, wait, this is in the Bible? Dozens of times God says, Israel, you played the whore. I committed myself faithfully to you. I gave you everything, and you prostituted your heart to other lovers. You chased after other fleeting pleasures when I was faithful to you. See, the problem with the old covenant was not with God. It was with Israel. It was with them. They, they could not keep up their end of the covenant. They could not obey in order to earn his favor and his acceptance. 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613 and God said, you keep your end, I'll keep my end, and we're good. But they absolutely could not. It was impossible. And they chased after other lovers. It's important to realize what went wrong with this. Because that's our story too. Because we are Israel. We chase after other lovers in the place of God. We put our careers ahead of God. We put our bank account ahead of God. We put our spouses and our kids ahead of God. We put our own comforts ahead of God. And we chase after the fleeting pleasures of sin, thinking that that will satisfy us when we're created to be his people and he our God. Romans 3, verse 10 and 12, says that none have done good. No one is righteous. No one seeks after God. None. That means you and me. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard, God's expectation in the covenant. Is that, is that God created us to live in a marriage with him and he's been faithful to us and we've been unfaithful to him. We are the betrayers. Just like Israel, we are the ones who walked away from his covenanted faithfulness chasing after our own dreams and loves and ambitions. And the reality is, we don't have a chance, honestly. We cannot live up to God's standards. 
We cannot live up to the expectations of holiness like he is holy. Remember Adam and Eve? Like if anybody's going to do it, if anybody's going to get it right, it's those two. They don't have all the temptations we have. Sin hasn't entered the world yet. Like everything was as perfect a scenario as possible, yet they walk away. Because our human hearts cannot live faithfully with God on our own. We can't do it on our own. We're going to chase after other lovers. So why does God make it so tough, right? Why is the old covenant so, so difficult? One, God can't drop his standard. God, God can't lower his standard of holiness. It, it's not like a marriage is like, hey, you're going to be faithful to me 90% of the time. Okay, good. We're good. We're good. We're okay, right? As long as it's 90%, 85 pushing it, we get to 80% or lower. We're, no, this isn't going to work. But if you can commit 90% faithfulness to me, we're good. No marriage operates that way. If you're ever like dating someone and that's their proposal, just advice, get out. Not going to go well. Not going to end well for you, right? I know, like I'm dropping great dating tips there. You know, everybody knows that. So God can't drop his standards and be like, hey, it's okay that you only make it for 600 of the commandments. It's okay that you did 613 for, I don't know, 10 months out of the year. The other two months, it's all right. Don't worry about it. God in his holiness cannot drop his standards. And so the law, the covenant is so tough because it points to the faithfulness and holiness of God. But it also points us to our need for outside help. The law is meant to tell us, hey, you can't do it. You cannot do it on your own. You need the help of another, which is what God is promising to do in Jeremiah 31. The old covenant, it's, it's broken, not because of God, but because of us. And so God's going to step in to fix what we broke. God's going to do what we could not do on our own. He says in verse 32, or in verse 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, it's another passage where the new covenant is spoken of. I want to read it as well. He writes in chapter 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. God promises that a new covenant is coming. The old covenant was built on the law and on my and your ability to obey. The new covenant is built on grace and his ability, his ability to obey. The old covenant looks at what I do to measure up. It measures me and my standards against God. The new covenant, covenant looks at Jesus' ability to measure up. It measures, measures his ability before God in my place. The old covenant tells you and me and Israel, hey, if you obey, you'll be accepted by God. The new covenant says, hey, you're going to be accepted by God through Jesus, therefore you're free to obey. 
The old covenant was built on works. The new covenant is built on grace. The old covenant was built on what you do. The new covenant is built on what Jesus does. We can't measure up, but Jesus does. And he measures up in our place. This is the hope of the gospel. That in your dark moment, when you don't measure up, the light of Jesus steps in and says, I'll measure up in your place. You just follow after me. He says that the first thing we see in Jeremiah and Ezekiel is that God is going to, God's first going to work on our hearts. He's going to move from the expectations of our hands, what we can do for him, and he's going to change our hearts so that we will love him and then follow in obedience. The source of the action has to be changed first. If we're going to do good with our hands, our hearts have to be good first. And the problem with us is that we're born with bad hearts. We're born naturally with a bad heart. And so God steps in. He says, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to change the source from within. I remember, what was it, a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? I don't remember. We had to boil our water. The absurdity of Austin, right? Like you got to boil our water because, because apparently, allegedly, I don't know. I don't know if it was proven or not. Allegedly, the water was bad. Why did they say the water was bad? Because the source was polluted. If the source is polluted, nothing that flows out of that will be good. The heart is the source of the person. It's the seat of all of our emotions and desires and will. And so if our heart is bad, everything that comes out will be bad. And so God's like, of course you can't do good. Your heart is bad. You need a new heart. That several years ago, I was watching, um, I think it was maybe Thanksgiving week, because they did the, like, the Sunday morning NFL special on a day I wasn't at church. So it must have been a Thursday. I don't know. But I was watching about Charles Tillman. He was a cornerback for the Chicago Bears. And, and at practice one day, he gets, uh, a, you know, a trainer comes up and says, like, hey, Charles, man, you need to go to the hospital. It's your daughter, Tiana. He gets to the hospital, and his three-year-old daughter, Tiana, or three-month-old, sorry, daughter Tiana is hooked up to the machines, laying in a bed, and they're like, hey, here's the problem. She was born with a bad heart. It's too big. And, and if she doesn't get a new heart, she's going to die. And so they get on the donor list, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and it seems like there's no hope, because there's nothing you can do about it, right? Tiana can't fix her own heart. She, she, can't, she can't muscle her way to be better. Charles can't fix it. If anybody can fix this problem, it's someone who makes millions of dollars a year, right? He can do nothing. The, the worst feeling of hopelessness, and any parent in here knows this, is watching your child suffer and not being able to do anything. It's the worst feeling of hopelessness. Hopelessness was filling this situation until they got a phone call. And there was a donor a little boy, and he had passed away, and Tiana was going to get his heart. And so they perform the surgery. Tiana gets a new heart, and literally her life is made new. She's doing great today. Everything's great. But the only way she got a new heart was through the death of another. Charles said that was the hardest part for them to, to come to grips with was knowing that their daughter was going to live because someone else's son had died. That was the weightiest part. Here's what we have to realize. Have to realize this. We are Tiana. We're born with bad hearts. 
We're born with bad hearts to love God, and on our own, we can't do anything about it, and no one around us can do it for us. We need a new heart, and the only way we get a new heart is through the death of another. The only way we get a new heart is through the death of someone else's son who dies in our place so that we can receive new life in him. And through the death of Jesus, we're offered a new heart. We're offered to be made new from the inside out. And here's the great thing about Jesus. He doesn't stay dead. And so the heart that he gives us is a heart that will never die if we live with him, if by faith we follow him. It's the best heart transplant we can receive. And so the new covenant, God says, I'm going to give you a new heart, and it's going to come through the death of another. And when we receive that, now we obey, not because we're trying to work and hustle and manufacture performance for God to accept us. Now we obey because God has made us new and given us life, and we want to obey him. We want to follow him. If we're having a hard time following God in obedience, we're missing something in the fact that he gave us new life through his son. Because that changes our heart and compels us to go and to live and to follow him. And the new covenant, God says, I'm going to do that for you. Because you can't do it on your own. The second thing the new covenant gives us is a new power to actually do what God calls us to do. He says that in there that no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. See, before the new covenant, there was somebody that you had to go through to get to God. So there was the priest. You had to go through the priest to get to God. Only the priest could get into the presence of the Holy of Holies. Well, now God's saying, no, no, we're getting rid of that. Whether you're old or young, whether you're smart or not, whether you're rich or poor, everybody has access to the Father by what this new covenant will do. In Ezekiel, he says he's going to put his spirit inside of us. We're going to have the very presence and power of the living God in us. Like, I realize I can't do the science on that and the math and be like, okay, here's how this all works out. But spiritually, supernaturally, the Bible says that the power of the living God is in us in the new covenant. Romans chapter 8 I mean, it's, it's one of the, just an incredible verse. Um, Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. He says, You, how, who, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. See, he gives us a new heart to love and to desire to do right, but he also gives us the ability by the Spirit of God in us to actually follow in obedience. We can actually follow God. I know sometimes we have these sins that seem to haunt us. We're like, I don't know how to get free of this. Like, I don't know how to, to get over here and from there. But the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God in us enables us and gives us the ability to actually follow in obedience. Before this, they had to go through somebody to interact with God. Now in the new covenant, you and I can talk directly to the God of this world. That right here today, as we gather in worship, the presence of God is with us. Like, let's not just skim past that. It's not just you and me in this room. Like, we look around and we see people and we're like, oh, man, this is cool. No, no, there's also God in this room with us. 
That change, that's different from the old covenant. That's the new covenant. That gives us life. That changes everything. It gives us hope when we're hopeless. It gives us confidence when we're afraid. It gives us healing when we're broken. The Spirit of God in us changes everything, and it only comes in the new covenant. Our lives can be different. They really can be different. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. That doesn't mean we're not going to struggle. See last week. Last week was awful, right? It doesn't mean that things are going to be perfect, but it does mean that there is a hope in us that promises to carry us to the new day, that promises to give us the power to follow in obedience, promises to give us the courage. We're just scared. The Spirit of God in us. The third thing that we see in the new covenant is that our sins will be forgiven. You see, it's one thing if God gives us a new heart. It's another thing when he gives us the power of the Spirit in us to actually follow in obedience. But what do we do with the mountain of sin in our past? What do we do when we say, okay, God, from this point on, I was great. Just don't look at the past 20 years. Like, just kind of ignore everything else that happened. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? How do we handle the record of debt that we have against God? We don't. The new covenant does for us. The new covenant in Jesus does for us. Colossians chapter 2, love the imagery of this. It says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Such a good reminder. We were dead in our sins. We had no life. You who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So just stop for a second and just think. Just think about the sins that you've committed against God. I know that sounds kind of like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a damper on things. Just let the weight of sin sit for a second. Having forgiven all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He took our debts and he canceled them. Wiped it clean. How did he do that? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So I just imagine sometimes having this list of paper, this record of debts that's been kept and, and my list would be incredibly long. And I'm supposed to walk up with, to God holding that list? There's no way. But this tells me Jesus took that list. He took my sins. And when he was nailed to the cross, so was my record of debt. So was my list of sins. And so the past however many years of sin, the past however many years to come of sin, Jesus has settled the promise, the hope of the new covenant is that Jesus is going to forgive us of our sins. We don't have to do it. We don't have to measure up on our own. The dark moment of life is that we cannot measure up to God. But the hope of the new covenant of the gospel is that Jesus does in our place. Today, we still have the option to live in the old covenant. We still have that option to try and measure up before God. Here's what I know with 100% certainty. None of us will. And we all know it. 
we all know that we're not going to measure up to a holy and perfect God. And so if we live our lives and we stand before God trying to live in the old covenant, obeying in order to be accepted, you won't be accepted. But the hope of the new covenant is you don't have to live that way. That Jesus will come in our place and he will live perfectly the law that God expected us to live. And then he'll take our record of debt and he'll give us his record of righteousness. And so when we trust Christ by faith, we stand before God, not holding our record of debt, but holding his record of righteousness. And the God of the world says, come on, I'm gonna be your God, you're gonna be my people. Let's go. That's the hope of the new covenant. That's what the Old Testament is building to. That's what hopelessness points us to, is Jesus. The old covenant says, obey and you'll be accepted. The new covenant says, you're accepted by Jesus' obedience. Now therefore go and obey. It's the gospel, the covenant of grace. That's what's coming. That's what is pointed to in Jeremiah 31. That's what we get to live in. So I just want to invite you would, you, would you take a minute and just, would you close your eyes? There's nothing magical there. I just know we're easily distracted people. And so it, it can be a time just to mentally in your mind and your heart posture yourself before the Lord. Ephesians 2 says we are dead in our sins, but God who is rich in mercy according to his steadfast love makes us alive by faith in Christ. Just think for a minute on that steadfast love of God. When, when we are the faithless ones, we are the ones who betrayed him and yet his love remains but there, there's no limit to God's love. There's no height, there's no depth, there's no width. There's no measure of sin that, that can make him not love us. His love is steadfast. As people, we have capacities on our love. There's enough bad that someone can do to probably run out my love for them. That's not the case with our God. His love is steadfast. It never ends, it never changes, and it's for you. And the invitation of the new covenant is by grace, an undeserved gift we can receive in faith the life that he offers in Jesus. Not because we've measured up, but because Jesus did and he stands in our place. Have you trusted that? Are you still trying to live in the old covenant where you have to measure up? The invitation is quit trying. Jesus has already done it. Trust him and let him stand in your place and make you right with God. If you've trusted Christ, how is God calling you to follow him? How is he calling you to live in response to the grace he offers? 
Our God, you are here and you're present. We feel you, but we also know you because of your word. God, you've created us to be your people, for you to be our God, to walk and live in intimate relationship with you. And so it would be a miss, Father, for us to not encounter your presence and your power today. So that's what we're asking for, God, that you would make your presence known among us, that you would meet each person where they are, that you would speak their name, that you would, you would call them to behold and to look up and to see you. God, that the fear that we, we live with and we hold on to would fall away in your presence. That the insecurities we feel because we don't measure up would fall away because you measure up in our place. Holy Spirit, speak to us and work in us and change us and transform us for your glory and for our good and the good of the world around us. Don't leave us the same. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com. 